Well, good evening. Welcome to Refuge. It's a glorious Wednesday. Uh, it, it truly is, because we're here, and we are His, and uh, He is ours, right? And so we, uh, we come together, gather together to worship Him, to sit at His feet, to uh, receive from Him, and, and uh, really, we're, we're blessed in many ways. Um, just a couple things before we get into our study. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, but number one, I, I just want to let you know that we, we will not be having food after service uh, this evening. We're going to skip tonight, so if you're hungry, just, just wait. You'll, you'll get there. Uh, but, uh, but we are having uh, food after next Wednesday's service. So uh, come hungry for both the Word of God and for some, some good food afterwards, and we'll have it then. Um, also, this coming Saturday, we have the men's prayer breakfast. So we'll have the men's prayer breakfast here at 7 a.m. And so, men, uh, mark your calendars. Make sure you come out for that. Bring fr uh, friends and family and neighbors and co-workers and everyone you can gather together and, and bring them out uh, because we need to pray. We, we need to be men who are on our knees and uh, willing to intercede on behalf of others, uh, to petition the Lord uh, because there's, uh, there's much going on, not only in our own lives, but just as we look around, there's much going on uh, within just here, our, our lives here locally, um, statewide, and, uh, and of course nationally and, and uh, internationally, but uh, much to pray for. So that's what we have going on. But this evening we are in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7. You know, uh, the Lord in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And uh, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you will have heard that numerous times. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Um, you know, some people who uh, are youths, you could say, in Christ or babies in Christ will look at that and will think one way. Uh, ones have, that, that have grown in the Lord a bit will perceive it a different way. And then as you still get even older in the Lord and have been walking with Him for a number of years and have abided in Christ, you look at this in, in a much different way. I think that this evening we're going to see an example of what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It was David that was considered to be a man after God's own heart. And in fact, uh, he was referred to in this way by, by no one else but the Lord. The Lord was the one who said in, in both, it was, it was referenced in Acts 13.22 and in 1 Samuel 13.14, uh, that he was referenced in those two verses uh, by being a man after God's own heart. And I've stated time and time again how it is that we know that this is true in the life of David. Not just by what he exemplifies, but we see that match up with what God had stated in those two areas of Scripture. You see, David was a man who loved God, and when he failed, not if he failed, 
It was when he failed, he at that point would acknowledge his sin, it would grieve his heart, he would repent and ask God for forgiveness. He was assuming full responsibility for it. You know, oftentimes our problems are not because of other people, although we would like them to be other people, right? Our, our problems, sometimes we, we, we blame it on other people. Well, it's so-and-so. It's because of what he did, what she did, the way he is with me, the way she, you know, all, all of those things. And, and it has nothing to do with anyone else. It has everything to do with you. The moment, this is an important lesson for us as Christians. The moment you get to a place in your life to where you humble yourself before a humble and righteous God and assume full responsibility for you, you will begin to make progress in your relationship with the Lord. Because a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, these you will not despise. In other words, he will, not, he will not forsake, He will not turn His back on a broken and contrite heart. And for a Christian, we should always remain in that place to where we're broken before a righteous and holy God, and we're contrite. We're looking to Him. We're reliant on Him. We're trusting Him. We have faith in Him. We, have, we, we cling to Him with everything that we are. This evening, we'll see what David desired for God's glory and how he responded when God did not allow David to follow through with his desire. You see, David, we'll, we'll learn in a few moments, David desired something glorious for God. And yet God said, no, it's not for you. But how many times have, has God said no to you? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that it's just like numerous times, right? It's like, no, and then sometimes we realize that later it was for my own good that he said no, you know? It, it, it's, he's the perfect father. But how we respond to those moments, even the yeses, the maybes, the waits, the noes, all of those things, our response to all of those situations with the Lord should reflect a heart that truly desires the glory of God. And we'll see how it is that David responded to God's no. It's interesting, though, because in, in the midst of that no, God gave David something that far uh, it, it just blew away the request of David. He, he gave him something that was uh, that far exceeded what David had initially requested to do for God. David requested to do something for God, and God said, no, I'm doing something for you, and I'm going to tell you all about it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. Lord, we ask your blessing, your anointing, your leading, your guidance, and your teaching, Lord, this evening that because we know that your word does not return void and it accomplishes all that you have set out for it to accomplish in our hearts. So may we be totally submitted, surrender to you. Lord, you are God and, uh, and we want to hear from you. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house... And the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, 
Do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, obviously, there was a strong implication there that was clearly understood by Nathan. We don't have the details there exactly. You know, if there, if there was more in that exchange, we don't know about those details. But we know that that was enough because perhaps Nathan was very discerning. And, and, and David, um, his heart was exposed, especially to Nathan. Nathan, Nathan knew David intimately. He, he knew him very well. And, and I, I, there's a sense there to where David would go to Nathan for counsel and he spent a lot of time with him. And so, you know, when, when you're that close to someone else and you know their heart, you know where they're coming from, they don't have to tell you much. And you just know what they're saying. And, and so that's what I see here with this exchange between David and Nathan. As David expressed his, his heart with Nathan, Nathan said, do everything that's in your heart. I, I'm, I'm following you. I, I understand what you're saying. Now, we see here in verse 1 that it's the Lord that had given David rest from all his surrounding enemies. But in the next chapter, we have a record of David's battles. So, and then if you, if you go to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 17, by the way, this, this chapter, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, you, you can see the same thing pretty much uh, in, second, in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. But it's in the same order. And then in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 18 and verse 1, it describes what happens, the events after... Uh, the Lord's covenant with David, and then David's prayer, uh, it, it describes events as being chronologically held after that. And that is, after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and he took Gath and its villages out of the hand of the Philistines. It's looked at in two different ways. Um, one is, is that it, it was chronologically recorded, and because God is God, he was, with his foreknowledge, knew that he was going to subdue and bring all of David's enemies uh, basically under his subjection. And he, would, and he would definitely make sure that there was peace all around him. Or the second view is, is that this was the important part, something to keep in mind as we continued on with the story of David. You see, what God does for his people, what he does for his nation, what he does for those who, who's he's, who, whom he's appointed uh, to certain uh, positions, such as David as king of Israel, is important for us to consider. It's important for us to, like let's say for instance in this life, uh, to continue in this life with the thought of peace and hope, of grace and God's love and mercy. Even though chronologically we can say the next moment we won't experience much peace. We will experience tribulation. But Jesus said, but take heart for I have overcome, right? So the peace we have, the hope we have, the mercy we have, the grace we have, and it all supersedes and comes before anything else that comes after. You understand what I'm saying? For, with importance, 
that's always something to keep in mind. Someone who keeps God's grace, his love, his hope, and all of that in proper order in their lives, no matter what you're faced with, that will always supersede what you're faced with, those issues. And so the emphasis is always on the fact that Israel had rest from its enemies because God gave it to them. He had given them victories and rest. Remember that, that he promised them this land. And it's as good as done when God promises something to us. Like, just think about that. The, the next time you go through something that's difficult, what God has done, we're going to talk about prom, his promises a little bit later in the message. But think about that the next time you come into a difficult situation, God's promises. Because it's good it's as good as done. It's a done deal. His word is sure. It is our very hope. It was at this time that David considered his blessings, what God had provided for him. Uh, back in uh, last week, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 11, it says, And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in cedar trees, also carpenters and masons, who built David a house. And it was at this point that David was considering all of those things. He was considering uh, what God had done for him. It is good to acknowledge what God provides. His blessings, his love, his grace, his mercy, his provisions, and his hope. Everything that he's provided for us. David considered the fact that he was living in a beautiful home made out of the best cedar. And instead of being dissatisfied and desiring more for himself, he thought of God and how the ark of God was in a tent and he was living in a beautiful cedar home. He was thinking, oh, the ark is in a, it's in a tent. You know, something that had been ordained by God but that was in the desert when, when everything was mobile and, and we were mobile. But now we're in the promised land. We, we have come and we're dwelling in the very place that God had given to us. And David in his heart thought, I'm living in this cedar home. He must have felt somewhat guilty. Like, man, I'm living in this and, and God doesn't even have a, a place to live. Think about that. God's going to address that in a few moments. Well, when he brought this up to Nathan, David implied that he wanted to construct a, a temple to house the ark of God. And Nathan, again, discerning what David was thinking, he encouraged David to move ahead and make it. Nathan, again, discerned what was in the heart of David to do. And he was correct. David repeatedly desired to glorify God above all. How do I know that? Well, twice David had the opportunity to kill Saul, and he didn't because he observed God's sovereignty in the matter and acknowledged the fact that Saul was God's anointed and he didn't have the right, nor was he in the place to end Saul's reign or definitely to take his life. David didn't rejoice when his enemies fell. David kept his word to Jonathan regarding his and Saul's family. 
David rejoiced in the presence of God, worshiping and praising him. He held nothing back. He danced before the ark. He danced before the very presence of God. And now he considered where he was living and what he possessed. And like I said, like I pointed out, he didn't think more about himself, but he thought of the Lord, desiring to glorify him by making a beautiful temple to house the ark of God. Of course, this sounds like something good, right? What about you? Is your heart's desire, are you bent on glorifying him? Do you look for ways in which you can bless him? With your talents, with your treasures, with your time? The, we, the reason why I ask that is because we should consider how it is that we use our time, talents, and treasure. Sometimes we're very reserved just how much time we give to the Lord. How much of the gifts that he's gifted us with we give to serving the Lord. In our treasure, oh, that's a big test. It's a big test. That where our treasure is, there our heart is also, is scripture. It's God's truth. Do we trust him with everything? You know, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Again, I refer to Matthew 6.33 because we've heard it often and, and yet do we really understand what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. When do we seek first the kingdom of God? Is it on Sundays, Wednesdays? Is it on those days? Or, it is, or is it perhaps another day, just in the morning, in the evening? Or is it all the time? It's all the time. Seek first the kingdom of God, his glory, right? His kingdom. To consider that, his righteousness, Oh, his righteousness. That's something tough to consider all the time. You want to know why? Because we're unrighteous. We're, we're in, the, like, in the flesh. In Christ, we're righteous. I understand that. But man, do we, the way we think, sometimes what we say and what we type out and what we thumb out, <laughs> right? Sending texts and messages or posting or, or the, the, the things that are in our hearts. Right? We consider those things. And we should really consider those things in light of a holy and righteous God. <clears throat> when we do that, and we desire above all to bring glory to God, our hearts would, will be aligned with Him, our will will be aligned with Him, and, and He, it, it's like a child who just comes in line, wants to be obedient, is sincere and genuine. You just want to bless them. Oh, you you want to bless their socks off, right? And and and. Uh, and, and they don't fully understand that. Like, children don't get that, do they? Uh, some do, but many do not. Don't understand that. Because when they do, it's like, man, there's not, there's not much you won't do for them, is there? Well, it's that relationship with the Lord. He wants to. And you know, oftentimes, it's by His grace that we have what we have. 
you know. It's not because we're obedient to him, but it's just because God is amazing in his grace and he's merciful and he's long-suffering, he's patient with us. In fact, in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, he wrote this. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In whatever situation I'm in. And he goes on to say, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment. Contentment in the Lord. As soon as you are content in the Lord, you will know the peace of God. And you will know that peace of God that surpasses all understanding as you exercise that. Because you're exercising your faith and your hope in him. You're trusting fully in him. Well, this was David's heart. It was reflected in what he wanted to do, what he desired to do. So Nathan again confirmed and he was discerning and he thought this is a good thing, David, that you want to do. Just do everything. He said, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Well, the Lord showed up and spoke with Nathan. Let's continue verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Let's stop there for a moment. I, again, these are those moments to where I think the reason why oftentimes it's just so plain, it's because we need it to be really plain. Right? Not like, oh, let me explain it to you in, in like a, just a big conversation, a dialogue going back and forth. It's God speaking very plainly, very plainly. Good intentions, Nathan. Good intentions. But God at that point was saying, but I'm going to put things in proper perspective. I'm going to give you the right perspective. You see, Nathan acted presumptively by responding to David in the affirmative when he should have sought the Lord on this issue before giving David an answer. He should have sought the Lord. That's a good lesson for us. Sometimes we, we look at, at something that someone wants to do and we're like, yeah, brother, you know, that, that sounds good. Go for it, man. Just do it. And not everything's that simple. You know, some things that look logical and of course, that's just, that's what you ought to do. You know, hold your tongue. Sometimes you ought to give the counsel of, have you prayed about it? Have you really sought the Lord? Do you want me to pray with you? Because although outwardly it looks like a good thing to do, it may be the wrong thing to do or the wrong time for you to do it. Because isn't, wouldn't this be considered something good to do? Building, building the ark, a, a temple to house the ark of God in, right? But God addressed this with Nathan. 
And so it's a good lesson to learn for us. Pray. Seek the Lord. Sometimes we can respond to something that appears good by quickly moving forward and doing it. But that may not be what God desires. And after further prayer and seeking the Lord's guidance, according to his word, we may realize that what seemed good was not the best thing to do and may not have even been the right thing to do. This could happen with buildings used for ministry or our desire to be used for ministry. Missionary trips job and career decisions, the selling of homes and moving, relationship decisions, so on and so forth. Always counsel with the Lord. Always look to Him. Pray and seek Him. You can bring others around you to perhaps give you different perspectives and but make sure you surround yourself with good, godly counsel. Men or women, sisters, you know, if, you, if you're looking to decide on something, make sure you surround yourself with godly women that, uh, that will give you good, sound, biblical wisdom and, uh, and counsel. For there is safety in a mul multitude of counselors, is what the Bible tells us. Well, as is... Normally the case, if we consider what God has to say about a certain issue or situation, we'll be led down the right path. Not normally. Always, right? Because that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, and God asked him some questions that would reveal some important things. The first thing that he said is, would you build me a house to dwell in? So it was, you know, Jesus used this, uh, this, this method of, of revealing to, to someone exactly what they were asking or desiring to do, right? He would, he would answer a question with a question, only to reveal the answer by the answer that they give to his question, right? And so he was just asking, you're going to build me a house to dwell in. You see, God had told Moses about the tabernacle, how to build it, and how to in the manner in which God would dwell with his people. He, he's the one that had told Moses how it was that things were going to be in the very place where he said, I'm going to meet with you in this place. So you meet with me here. This is the designated place. This is the Holy of Holies. This is the place in which you are to build the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, the Holy Place. Um and the rest of the tabernacle. God said that he had moved with his people wherever they went and had never complained about the tent. He also made that point. Hey, listen, I, I've been with you throughout the 40 years with everyone. Been with you. And he was, he was asking the question, have I ever complained to the judges or anyone else about the very place that I'm dwelling in the tent? Not once. You see, God had simply appointed the manner in which he would meet with his people, and it was a foreshadowing of the very place that he would be accessible to all who entered into the Holy of Holies by God's grace through faith in the one who had opened access to the Father by his shed blood. It was a foreshadowing. That's what it was. It was a prescribed manner 
in which he was going to show his people that he was going to come or he was going to send his son to give access to the Holy of Holies, the Father himself. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1, it says this. Now, the point in which in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if, here, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. That was on Mount Sinai. So that's, that's why it was the way it was. It was a foreshadowing of the true tent that was shown to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so it is in that manner that they were to build the tabernacle. So, number one, as, as, we, as we learn in those few verses, number one, let us always seek to bless the Lord as it was in David's heart. Number two, let us always seek the Lord for perspective and direction. Don't disregard him. Nothing is too small. Nothing is too big. Verse 8, as God continues to address Nathan, it says, Now therefore thus, he shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Stop there for a moment. Four things that God wanted to remind David of. Number one, God had exalted David from shepherd of the sheep to shepherd of God's people as leader and king of Israel. God had done it. Not David, but God had done it in David and through David. Secondly, God had never left him nor forsaken him. Thirdly, it was God who had conquered all, David, all of David's enemies. These are all reminders. These were the things that he told Nathan, Nathan, you want to tell David these things. Remind him of these things. But the fourth thing was a promise. God said that he would make David's name great. Now, is that something that David had asked for? Oh, God, you know, I just, I just want you to make my name great. Not at all, right? Not at all. And yet this was the very thing that God had promised David. So he told Nathan, Nathan, I want you to tell him these, these things. Three were reminders, and the fourth one was a promise. Those were all important points for David to know and a promise that God would explain as he continues in his address to David. Uh, you know, as we, as we think about these things, how it was that God was addressing this, these, these items with, with David, 
You know, God also wants to point these things out in our very own lives. You know, how do you consider God's presence in your life? What he's done in your life? Do you even consider him? Is all you are and have that is good because of God? Do you really believe it or do you believe it was because of how perhaps how great you are? And you're, maybe it was your faithfulness. I mean, I, I was, I've been so faithful, Lord. Of course, I deserve these things. You know, whatever it is that comes my way, I, you know, I've, 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 kind of, I've earned it. I've earned it. Wonderful efforts. Sometimes we may not say it, but sometimes we sure do behave in ways that reflect it. You know, because when, when, uh, when bad things happen to good people, you heard that? Number one, who's good but God alone, right? You should always remember that. Yes, we're precious in his sight. Yes, he values us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross on our behalf. But really, we should take account of ourselves. We should be like the Apostle Paul. I am of all chief of all sinners. I am chief of all sinners. I know my heart. I know myself, right? So we should be humble before him. Because sometimes when these things happen to us, we start to, to wallow and have pity on ourselves. And we wonder, why me? Why did it happen to me? Why are these things? You know, it just seems like one thing after another. And I'm just, you know, and just like pretty soon it's just like, man, is that Eeyore coming? Or is that Rawl? What, what, what's happening there? Right? Think about it. God's grace is truly amazing. He doesn't owe us anything more. He, he didn't even owe us salvation. And yet he gave us the forgiveness of our sins. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I wish suffering upon no one. But if we were to suffer for the rest of our natural lives... It wouldn't be enough payback for what he's done for us because we get to be with him for all eternity in his glory. All glory to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, as if it had come from you, right? So everything that is worthwhile all comes from the Lord. It's a gift from him. We've received that. And so we should use it as stewards of that. To bring him glory. Well, God continues to tell Nathan what to say to David. Verse 10, it says, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house a house. Uh, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me as a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. So, David desired to build a house for God, and instead, God makes a covenant with David. The Lord promising to build David into a house and establish his throne forever through his seed. Told him, from your flesh and bones will come one, the heir to the throne, and through him I will establish the throne, your throne, forever. It is truly wonderful to demonstrate our love toward God. We need to ask ourselves, how can we do this? And why would we want to? Those are things. We need to know the purpose, the why. You know, not, not just what. Like, how can we do it? What can we do to bless and glorify the Lord? But why? Because without the why, we, we won't really have a good motive, a, a good intention, you know, that will last through uh, trials and tribulations, through conflict and different issues. Well, the how is by keeping God's commandments. You know, first of all, we demonstrate our love toward God by being obedient to his word. It, it is truly, is, is, uh, you can't complicate things, right? This is it. How, how do we demonstrate our love toward God? By being obedient to his word. And so that's why it's important for us to read his word, to study his word, to understand how to apply it rightly to our lives, that it may serve as wisdom to us, right? And glory to him. Because in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So he's saying with those words that you can demonstrate your love toward me by simply obeying my commandments. Secondly, we show that we have come to know God's love personally and intimately by the way we love him in return. 1 John 4, 19 says we love because he first loved us. We don't really understand love until we understand God's love toward us and how it is that we were loved in that way. You see, we prove we know and have received his love, believing and receiving and applying it to our lives. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If, I know we, we, um, we refer to that scripture perhaps when we're evangelizing, when we're witnessing to someone. But consider that verse perhaps when you're dealing with an issue with someone else. But God demonstrated his love toward me and that while, we were, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for, for me, right? What about when you're dealing with an issue with someone else? But, but I can demonstrate my love toward other people and that while they still hate me and call me names and, and do all kinds of things toward me, I, I, I will lay down... My, my very life for them. I, I want to bless them. I want to, in fact, Jesus said, you know, for us, we ought to love and pray for those who persecute us and are, are our enemies, right? 
It's not a worldly response to our enemies and those who persecute us, but it is a godly response. And so we prove our love for the Lord by applying these truths to our lives. Isn't that hard, though? That is super hard. Right? When someone just absolutely hates you uh, and is your enemy and is persecuting you, like openly, actively, isn't it hard to love on them? Let alone pray for them. Like, uh, I don't want to pray. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for them. <laughs> I'll pray for them. Be like James and John, sons of thunder. Shall I call lightning down from heaven and strike them, right? No, but the Lord, it's not that at all. We should be praying for them. For God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, God said that he would build David into a house, but that it would... uh, yeah, oh, and it would be his son that would be the one to do it. Uh, it was his son that would build the temple that would house the, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the question is, why would God not allow David to build the temple? You know the answer, right? All our students of the word, you know why. Well, since you don't, <laughs> First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 6, I know you do, but I just want to make reference to it. First uh, Chronicles chapter 22, verse 6, Mm-mm, let's see here, it says, Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the, uh, to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. And verse 10 says, He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. And so we know why. We know why it was that he was not able to build uh, the temple for the Lord, and yet uh, God had established and it promised David that it, it won't be you, but it, it'll be your son Solomon that will do this very thing, and I will establish his throne forever. He'll be the one through whom your throne is established forever. So God's, um, oh, and also, by the way, just because God had told David that he couldn't build a temple, it didn't stop him from making all the preparations to build a temple. He gathered all the materials. He got all of it ready for his son to do the work. He got it all together, all the materials. Something very important for us is is parents, you know, to prepare for our children, you know, as, as they go into adulthood, we give them all, hey, whether they use it or not, that's up to them. That is totally up to them. They're going to be held responsible. They're going to be held accountable for using all of the material that we've given to them because it's their own personal surrendering to the Lord. It's what they choose to do that's going to be on them. What am I talking about? God's word. His promises, His faithfulness, His love. It's, let's give our kids those, those blessings of knowing God's Word and His grace, God's salvation. 
So God, God's promises to David. Uh, his son would be heir to the throne. Uh, God would build David's house to be mighty and glorious. God will establish David's throne forever through Solomon. Uh, God will watch after David's son. Uh, 3 John 1.4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. God promises to watch after each and every one of us, including our kids. All we want to hear is that they're walking in God's truth. That's all we want to hear. They're doing that. Okay. Everything else is secondary, and we know that, uh, that they'll be okay. But God said, I'll watch after your son. He's going to be like my own son. I will discipline him. But I won't remove my anointing from him like I did to Saul, the one who came before you. I won't do that with him. He gave these promises to David. How, how, what, what a blessing, right? To hear this from God himself. Yet this is what God did with David. God's promises were true then and they are true today as these were completely fulfilled through Solomon and through all the way through David's seed onto Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. What Jesus is building far exceeds what David or Solomon could do to house the ark of God. It is all to the glory of God. What does a church house and what does a church consist of? What's indwelling in you? It's the very Holy Spirit himself, God himself, right? What Jesus is building far exceeds what David or Solomon could have ever built. And the Bible tells us the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Nathan went back to David and told him all about what the Lord had given him to speak. And David responds. Verse 18, this is the beginning of David's prayer. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Before we continue, I want to just address a few things here. Just David's response, his initial response to God was, is absolutely just uh, amazing to me. It's extremely, um, it's just filled with humility, honoring the Lord. Because David knew that God knew David's heart. And he was humbled by what God had reminded him of. And what he had promised David. Because remember, Nathan was instructed to remind David of a few things. And then he gave the promises. Not only to build his house and, and make his name great. But he promised him certain things through his own seed, through Solomon. And he wouldn't build the temple, but his son Solomon would. And how it was that he was going to handle his son Solomon? He gave him all of these things and it humbled David. Absolutely humbled him. And David considered and confessed that it was God who had brought him to the place that he was at, the very point that he was presently in. David confessed that God is all-powerful and nothing is too big for him to do, even though to David it was something great. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And we would all say, no, right? And yet when he does do something that is just 
mind-blowing. We just sit back in awe and know how great are you, Lord. Truly amazing to do that very thing. David was in awe of God and considered God's grace toward him. David didn't question, as we read there, David did not question why God didn't let him build the temple. David didn't expect anything more from God and instead humbled himself before the Lord and was grateful for what he had received, knowing that it was all too great already for such a man as he. A servant of the Lord, God Almighty. You know, how many times have we sulked, complained, thrown a fit because God didn't give us our way in something. You know, it, we may have not said it again. We may not always say it, but it's in, in the way we, we handle ourselves that we do that very thing. And oftentimes what happens after that is we take things, we take matters into our own hands. We start to just, okay, Lord, if Perhaps in our hearts we say, if you're not going to do it, then I guess I'm going to have to do it myself. We need to take note from David. He considered what God had done already. Knowing that God's plans for him was greater, they were greater than his own. And he humbled himself before God with a grateful, grateful heart. He was content, and we, as we saw in, in Philippians. As the Apostle Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. And David continues his humble response to God. Now, this is a prayer. This is a heartfelt prayer of David. It came from a grateful and humble heart. Verse 21, as we continue, says, Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God." David refers to himself as servant some, uh, believe, ten times uh, in this prayer. Just referring to over and over and over again as, as God's servant, the Lord's servant. This again uh, gives a beautiful picture of how it is that David perceived himself in position with God as his servant. The servant is deserving of nothing. He's owed nothing. He refers to God as great. He says there's none like him. He acknowledges all that God had done for the nation of Israel. He, he had acknowledged that Israel was God's chosen people. As I addressed it before and I pointed out, King David is not saying, these are my people, God. These are my people. You gave them to me. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't seeing things in that manner. He's saying, these are your people. They're all your people. And there's no one that's done greater for them. For you are their God. You've even driven out Israel's enemies from before them. In the very land that you had promised them. 
Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Again, just the questions to ask ourselves is how do we consider ourselves before God? How would we confess what he has done for us? Has he become your God? And how would that be proved to be genuine? It's got to be expressed for faith without works is dead, right? It's dead. Well, King David continues with this, with this prayer. Verse 25, And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house. And do as you have spoken, and your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house, therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Let's stop there. Now, what we need to understand here is that David just prayed God's word, his promises back to God. And in so doing, he's asking God to glorify himself by being faithful to the promises that he's made. In other words, he he considers himself God's servant, and yet he says, but I trust in your promises. And because you've made those promises, and I know that you're faithful, my desire, and I'm just confessing, is what you desire. If you say you're going to make my house great, so be it. But it's all for your glory. And I'm praying that you would do this very thing. When we pray according to God's word, we're praying in line with his will, his purposes, his desires for us. That we should align ourselves to these promises that he wants to fulfill in us. You and me. For instance, are you anxious for anything? for everything. Sometimes people are angry, just everything, like just anxiety overwhelms, right? Well, pray in agreement with Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Which, what does that say? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, Right? So you, you can pray this. It's like, Lord, I, I feel overwhelmed. I feel anxiety right now, right now, like being overwhelmed, right? But I trust in your word. So I'm, I'm going to ask, Father, that you would fulfill this in my own life right now. Give me that peace that surpasses all understanding. That's in line with his will. That's what he desires for you. Is his, God, is his word sufficient? It's got to be Yes. For the child of God, for the one who trusts in him, it's got to be yes. Are you recognizing sin in your life? Like, is there something that's been revealed in your life? You know, well, the way we demonstrate that we have faith in him is by praying and asking the Lord for forgiveness in line with 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we ask for his forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
when we confess our sins to him, right? So confess him. Humble yourself. Are you feeling like you're weary and weighed down? Well, Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 through 30 says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and ye will find rest. It's a promise. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so many other instances where God gives promises. Ask him for those to be made manifest or to be revealed in your own life. And then exercise your faith in the word. Because remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. David confessed his belief that this was the true word. The true word of God. And he knew that it would bless God to see this all come to fruition. I want to see it all come to, I want it all to, to see it all come about. Because I know it will glorify and bless the Lord. Well, verse 29, as we wrap up, says, Now therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. It does please God to see his word alive and applied in your own life. It pleases the Lord. We can bless the Lord. We can serve him in that manner. This all starts and continues through belief, believing that God's word is true. I want to close with this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, as Jesus speaks, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Father, we believe that. And just as David did. Where David expressed his belief in your word, Lord, in a way that we desire to. And so I ask, Father, that you would remind us of your faithfulness. Lord, help us to understand the depth of your love for us. The promises that you have made to us are true. And I pray that we would express our love toward you and for you by being obedient, by desiring to bless you, by walking in righteousness. For your word tells us to be holy, for you are holy. To be set apart for your special purpose. And so, Lord, use us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide and direct us according to your truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to bless you and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.